Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcasts. I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is here with us. JT, how's it going? It's better after uh, after a surprise men's basketball win, but then yeah. yet tempered by women <laughs> with a surprising loss. So, Right. right and actually, you know, so before that, uh, you know, it was the women's team that was playing real well and the men's team was struggling. So but we decided to, to bring on Manhattan Mercury interim sports editor and former Bring on the Cats writer, Tim Everson. Tim, good to have you back. Good to be back. It's been a little while. Yeah, it has. Yeah. So you've been busy. I mean, a couple of, of basketball teams that have uh, just been having, you know, drawn some attention for different reasons. But we're going to talk about the. I would just like you to uh, assure us that this is just a bump in the road after the, the collapse against Iowa State and then the Tech game is uh, kind of a total disaster when they shot. 28% from the field. So, you know, what can you tell us about this little, this little bump? Well, I mean, I, uh, I certainly would have been more confident in assuring that it was just a bump in the road after the Iowa state game, the tech game, I think was a little concerning, especially with just how bad they were offensively just across the board. But I have to remind myself how young this team is. And that there's still a lot of growth potential, especially for those three freshmen that are starting Sundell and, and the Glenn twins. And I mean, I mean, yeah, Yoki is maybe the best player in the country, but she's still not perfect. And she's still going to have nights where she's going to need someone else to pick it up. And it was just one of those nights where there just was not that other, other force to kind of help carry things along until she got going. And then by the time that she maybe was getting in a little rhythm, it was too late. She got into foul trouble. And so, I mean, I am hopeful that starting on Wednesday with the uh, Sunflower Showdown in Manhattan, I think that the ship will uh, get righted. I think they'll be up for that game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is like a chicken and egg situation, but, you know, in that last game, I mean, do you feel like, Aoka's struggles were just an off night for her, or was it more because the other players were struggling and then, you know, the defense obviously is going to focus more on the... Well, she's had some difficulties, especially like once Big 12 play started, Iowa State game, take that away, because she got off to a really great start versus the Cyclones, but she's had some difficulties kind of starting strong. I think that a lot of teams are know how to kind of key in on her and slow her down. And it's taken her and the guards around her a little longer to kind of figure out how they want to attack the different defenses that get thrown at them. And so the slow start wasn't necessarily as surprising, but I think in all of the other times where there's been a slow start, there has been, whether it be Jalen Glenn or someone else there to at least carry that load offensively until she gets rolling. And that just was not, was not the case against Texas Tech. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that the answer then to kind of solve those issues that you got to have the other players step up a little bit, especially early? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just not, you know, you just can't expect one person to be able to carry the load every game all the time i mean it's it it seems you know when she's on it seems like she can do you know almost anything it seems like you could put her on any basketball court in any game versus any opponent and she would she would be successful but they're just with the youth that this team has they're still not quite 
to that level of consistency where you can kind of always count on, well, someone's going to have a night tonight. And so I think that's just kind of the growing pains and and whatnot of, of the season. And then I think they'll be better off for it. So we'll see. Well, and, you know, we, we saw against Iowa State, I believe it seemed like nearly carried that team to victory all, all by herself with 38 points and, you know, her performance and still couldn't quite get anybody else to really step up and be that second person. You know, if Sundell or one of the Glenn sisters goes off for 15 or 20 points like they had against West Virginia or Oklahoma State, then, you know, that's a game the Cats went handily as opposed to losing in the final seconds. So, you know, even when Lee has just a stellar game, you still have to have somebody else step up and be there. But but like you said, it we're talking about like, you know, we've we've got Lee who's a superstar, and then really the rest of the team's hopes are pinned on three admittedly very good freshmen, but they're still freshmen. Mm-hmm. And they're still gonna make freshman mistakes and have off nights because they're freshmen. And that's just it, you know, it's the way of the world. I mean, I I went to I was at K State same year as Shaylee Lenning and that crew, the Fab Five, we called them. And there were nights where they, you know, were off. I mean, she's Shay Lenning's jersey's in the rafter, and there are still nights that she was off that that crew just, you know, they looked like freshmen, even though they were they were pretty good. So but it's something that we're gonna have to deal with, unfortunately, this year is that crew of freshmen and and then hopefully we'll come back. You know, they're, they're going to win some games. They're going to be pretty good this year, but hopefully they stick together next year with Aoka as, as a senior that they can really, like, be that consistent team that we're hoping for. Mm-hmm. And just to underscore, I mean, what it's been like, these averaging, you know, 23 and a half, and then you've got three freshmen, and nobody else is averaging even six points a game. So that's that's a little worrisome. But, you know, at the same time, I think this team has been – maybe the best defensive team in the big 12, you know, how much have they been able to ride that and let that carry them a little bit? Well, and you could see that quite a bit in the Iowa state game, especially through the first three quarters, basically, because Iowa state came in and they, you could argue that it's either, it's either them or Oklahoma as kind of the top offensive team in in the big 12. And K-State did a really good job of, of keeping it Ashley Jones, keeping Emily Ryan and the, you know, group of other great shooters that that Iowa State has kind of off balance or whatever. But really, like, I mean, really, they just needed that one other person. I, I wonder it, how much that game would have been different if Emily ever would have been available just, just oh. to have another body out there defensively to kind of help kind of quell the storm a little bit once Iowa State started to get hot late i think that 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 may have been the missing cog that maybe would have won k-state that game but yeah um, and that veteran presence that she provides i mean she's been around now for three years uh, exactly she's not always a scoring threat but she's very consistent when she's on the court and she does i mean she does all the little things i mean she'll rebound for you she'll get steals she'll i mean she'll fill in those gaps and that's not necessarily something that they're getting from the other reserves consistently. And so, and obviously she was out with COVID protocol stuff. Texas Tech was her first game back. So she probably wasn't 100% to kind of roll in. So I'm hopefully, especially being a Kansas kid, being from Frankfurt, 
thing she can kind of get back into because she was in a really nice rhythm for a couple weeks heading into the I want to say either Oklahoma State or, or West Virginia. One of the two was the first game that that she was out. And so I think that she can kind of be that six person off the bench that can kind of help carry that load a little bit. Maybe not necessarily the scoring part of it, but definitely be a very valuable piece for this team as they go on this season. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just an aside here, I, what other thing that we missed out with Emily Ebert missing ever, excuse me, missing that game against Iowa state was three players from Northern Kansas from towns of what, like less than yeah. 600 people all mm-hmm. on the court at the same time with Emily Ryan that plays for Iowa state. Like it could have been a real like cool moment. And, and unfortunately we, we missed out on that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's always super cool when, when that can happen. Cause yeah, cause what Laura Mackey's from, Baileyville, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She went to Nemaha Central. I think officially her bio list from Baileyville. That's right. Yeah. It was interesting. I mean, you know, it's always disappointing to see a team lose a big lead like that at the end. But at least to me, I don't know about you guys, that one felt a lot different than the way the men lost the next night, where mm-hmm. they basically just gave it away. And I think you got to give some credit to Iowa State. You know, they hit some tough shots. They had. The one girl had hit like one or two threes all season before she went. And then, you know, they banked in the three that ended up as the, as the game winner. So, so maybe some more tough luck involved there, too. Absolutely. And obviously, I mean, I think it's fairly apparent now that Iowa State is one of the top. It is cemented in the top ten. And that is, you know, losing a 17 or however, however big the women's lead was in that first time maybe it was just 10 but blowing a lead against a team like that goes down much much easier than blowing a lead at home to a tcu team that is a bubble team at best had the most generous a bubble team yeah i mean like like the women you know it felt like like they were still doing their things and then iowa state just went off and just could not miss it was insane Whereas the men, like it just, it looked like they just, they didn't have enough and they just kind of folded down the stretch as opposed to TCU really like coming out and playing with their hair on fire or anything crazy. Like K-State just couldn't pull it out or, you know, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely, definitely felt different being at yeah. both of those games. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. And so one thing that's that's impressed me about this team, too, is, you know, we talked about the, the three freshman guards, but so you wouldn't necessarily expect a, a team that's that young on the perimeter to be second best in the Big 12 in turnovers, you know, not even 13 turnovers a game. Uh, how good have they been at taking care of the ball? They're so good. I mean, especially, and it starts with Sundell. She came in, and the funny thing is, when, when the season started, Jeff Mitty named Simone Goodrich as the player that he thought had improved the most since last season. And it only took, well, it didn't take anything. I think that Sundell started with, I think she started with Simone out the gate. And then I think the Glenn twins eventually moved their way into the starting lineups. But, you know, there have been a couple, a couple times where she's had some, some rough outings. I think Oklahoma state was not particularly great. And then I think that, the first half of West Virginia, she had some struggles, but for being a freshman and for as many minutes, 
I mean, she's had two games this season where she has played uh, wire to wire all 40 minutes. And you're, you're, I mean, you're not going to find many senior point guards who are, you know, being asked to do something like that. So the, the load that she is being asked to carry for this team, considering her youth and her inexperience is incredible. I mean, it's, it's unheard of almost. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her turnover rate's gone up in big 12 play. I mean, her, her highest before had been four and then now we've got six, nine, five, five, and then three against tech, but she only had four assists. So like, you can definitely tell that the increased pressure from conference play is starting to get maybe to her just a little bit, but she's still playing super well. It's it's incredible to watch her be the floor general for this team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, let's talk about, I mean, you talked alluded to it a little bit, obviously, but Ayoko Lee, I think, has to be the favorite for Big 12 Player of the Year right now. Maybe the National Player of the Year favorite, certainly in that conversation. So... I mean, both of you guys can maybe speak to this. Like, just what makes her so special? I mean, to me, like, you know, this is my favorite reference is, you know, looking back at those great Kansas State teams, it's almost like she's got Nicole these size, actually a couple inches taller, I think, and then the athleticism of Kendra Wecker. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the that, top two K-State scores of all time. So, I think that's, I mean, I think that's, that's fairly apt. I mean, she – she is just so skilled for her size and they're just it's hard to find anyone in in i think it's just so rare that you can pick out people in history to compare her to but you know there aren't a lot of people playing right now that match up to just everything that she can do and i mean i've seen her you know, she's consistently double teamed. She has to be because if you, you know, going back to the Iowa State game in the first half, Iowa State decided to focus on the rest of the team and just leave one person on her and she ate them alive. I mean, it was. It, well, she, she, she outscored Iowa State in the first half of that game. Exactly. Right? Even with the yeah. defender draped on her, yes. she was still destroying them. So, yeah. uh, I don't. It's tough to to completely like describe what what makes her special, but it's it's a simplicity in the fact that you know if she has guards that can get her the ball when she is kind of in that circle around the rim, she's I'm nearly automatic. I mean, it's she just has such a light touch, and she really she doesn't have to do anything. You know, she doesn't really shoot jumpers. It, it hardly ever happens. I don't know the last time that she did anything outside the three-point line, and she doesn't have to. I mean, it's just she's just that good in that area, and it's it, it's incredible to watch. It really is. Yeah, she has currently zero three-point attempts this year, so she is a perfect zero for zero <laughs> from behind the arc. But, yeah, you're right. Like, she, she doesn't hardly ever shoot jumpers. When she does, they're, you know, maybe – five or six feet out, but she's really good with, with one hand, with using the backboard, just using her size to physically dominate in the paint and get those, you know, super high percentage looks right at the basket. Like, yeah, it's, it's simple. It looks effortless, but she does it so consistently that it's almost impossible to stop. Her misses don't come from the shot being altered. They come from the shot being off a little or, just didn't quite get the angle right or the bounce right. 
Like I saw so many, even against Iowa State, like she missed four or five where they, you know, it hit the backboard a little high. And so then it bounced off the rim, you know, instead of going in as opposed to bouncing in, you know, to the basket or, you know, hit drew back iron instead of right in the net. And, and those are things those happen to, you know, NBA players. It's not like, you know, you can expect her to hit that shot 100% of the time. Like it's basketball. Those, you know, even the best don't shoot that well. So, but, but it's still a surprise able, every time she misses it though. Right. Right. And exactly. Like it, you expect, uh, you know, it's so clinical how she works down there. You expect it to go in every time and it's a surprise when she doesn't, but I mean, she's still shooting 58%. I mean, that's just insane that she's shooting almost 60% on the year and 73% from the line. Like she's a great free throw shooter. I mean, she's, you know, you can't foul her because she's still going to get the points at the line. So, you know, it, you just, you got to guard her and, and hope she misses essentially. And part of it is she's so, she's so low key. She's so, I mean, she's not, you know, you, you can see she, she gets some emotion sometimes. You can see her get excited, but she's so kind of within herself and she, is incredibly thoughtful when you whenever you interview her she's just very every question she'll take time to think about stuff she's very deferential to the rest of her team she's just you know she just seems very just a very focused person and it's not flashing she's i mean it's very workmanlike but it's like it's just like being the best at I don't know, making shoes or something, you know, something ordinary or everyday, being the best uh, sandwich maker at, at Subway or something. Like, it's not something that people <laughs> are going to shower you with awards for, although I think that she's going to get showered with some awards, but yeah. it seems so everyday, but she's just so good at her specific thing that it's it's incredible. It's like watching tom brady play quarterback like at this point it's it's so workmanlike but at the same time it it's just so wildly effective that you wouldn't you know you notice when there's a bad game not when there's a good game mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she's got such a quick release in there too like you say teams want to double team her but sometimes they don't even have time so i think you see teams have started to almost double team her before she even catches the ball is almost what you have to do sometimes well, and, and, and it's also, it's in a sport where bigs are so varied in how skilled they are. Like you, I mean, you see Taylor Lauterbach is, is, is a good example of this because I think that she's good. And I think that she will be very good by the time that she is a senior, but she is a much more of that traditional big where there's just, there's not as much athleticism, much more foul prone, just doesn't quite have that you know, as soft of a touch around the rim. She's a little more awkward at times. And I think you see that a lot more with teams that are able to get these, you know, six, 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 seven, six, eight type players. It's so rare to see someone of her stature be able to to move and operate the way that, that she does to say the same thing in a different way for like the fourth time. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean you see you've gotten a chance to stand next to Ukulele. Is she a true six six? Uh, I think so. I, because of the whole, because of the whole COVID thing, I haven't been closer than, than like six feet away from her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. And I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm about right at six foot. 
and I, I think that she is, I mean, she's definitely at least four or five inches taller than me, probably six. It's tough to, tough to really gauge it, but I would, I don't I mean, there, it's hard to see teams that have players taller than she is. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we, we talk about uh, all this on our offense. We haven't even mentioned that she's leading the nation in blocks by a considerable mm-hmm. margin last time I checked, right? So, like, I mean, what, what's it like to have a difference maker like that on the defensive end? And it, Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's unheralded because of how, I mean, we, we just spent however long talking about how good she is offensively, and, it's, and she is amazing offensively, but she – has also improved her defense so much since she got to college that it's people don't think about it. People don't talk about it as much, but she is become so good at getting all those blocks. And she's only been in foul trouble, you know, maybe three times this season tech being one of those games where it became a problem. So she's become so good at just the control on that end and, and making sure that she doesn't get herself into positions that are going to be adverse because as uh, the, the tech game showed, you know, this team does not work with her in foul triple. It just, it completely, everything shuts down basically. We saw that against South Carolina too. I mean, they were in that game early until she got in foul trouble and Lauterbach had to, had to play extended minutes. And that's really when the Gamecocks pulled away. And that, I mean, I feel like that's really when tech put, you know, they pulled away early, but like kind of put it away was when she got in foul troubles, like, well, there goes our chance to come back. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned the, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you mentioned the blocks, like she leads the country in blocks, but she also leads the team in steals, which you don't hmm. expect from a center. But she's amazing at getting her hands in passing lanes and getting down low. I mean, she works the high end and low. Like, she's not stiff. I mean, she can bend, she can move. Yeah, she's she's definitely a problem in the middle and for, for other teams. And it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. Yeah. yeah. I say that a lot, like, but it, it like, Every part of Aoka Lee's game is incredible. And it's, and, and that's, I don't think that's hyperbole. It's just, that's, that's the best word I can think of to describe it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, she's so great at the call. So I'm sure, you know, she's going to be a pro. Uh, what do you guys know about, you know, her WNBA draft prospects? And I know it's extremely rare for players to leave early in women's basketball, but is there any chance that, that she would do that? She has been fairly outspoken on the importance of her finishing up her degree. So I think that she for sure is going to be coming back next year. I think that's, she's talked about that a couple times. And I think especially on on the women's side, it's, you know, it's, you know, not everyone's going to be Sue Bird who has, you know, double digit years in the WNBA is still playing the WNBA when they're 40 or whatever. So I think it's, it's, it's very important for her to get a degree kind of get that all squared away. So now I do not think, although I don't know, she still would have a year after her senior year if she wants to, because of the whole COVID deal, that would be interesting. I mean, I think that with the, the three freshmen would be juniors that year if she were to do that. I mean, I would imagine that 
K-State would be like a, a top 10 caliber team at that point. I don't know if she would want to do that just because at a certain point, college gets old and you want to go, <laughs> you know, however much you get paid, you want to get paid doing something. But I mean, based on what people who know a lot more than I do kind of talk about when they talk about her and people who know about the WNBA, I wouldn't be surprised if she's a number one overall pick whenever, you know, she's a senior. I mean, it just seems like she just has that that rare of a skill set that teams yeah. would really crawl over themselves to to get a hold of. Yeah. <laughs> and first she's she's actually already she got her undergrad degree already. She's working on her master's. Right. So she wants to graduate with her master's. Right. But yeah, to echo what, what Tim said, like I, I think she also made a name for herself on that three on three deal this past summer before the Olympics. Like there was a I mean they made it pretty far in their qualifying to be part of the three-on-three team for the Olympics. And they were the only collegiate team that could really hang with these pros that they were playing against. And that was primarily because of Lee and what she was able to do. And I think, I mean, she really, her play in that series, you know, really will help her whenever she decides to go pro. And yeah, like Tim said it, I mean, she's, she's a top pick, whether, you know, that's first overall or, you know, at least early in the first round, like somebody's going to snatch her up and pay her some good money. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing what she can do. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jeff Mitty and we'll take a quick commercial break for us to hear from our sponsors. And we're back. So, I mean, Jeff Mitty coming into the season, I guess, I mean, had seemed to be have some, some underachieving teams. Is, is, it, is that fair to say? Was he on the hot seat, you know, when the season started, would you say? I think it's, I don't I, I it's so tough to tell with the yeah. non-revenue sports on what, sure. what qualifies as the hot seat. But I, I mean, I think people were certainly unhappy. I think now that we have some distance from last season, I think we it's tough. You can't understate how much COVID just absolutely decimated anything that they were trying to do as a team. Obviously, you know, Yoki had the numbers that, that she had. Nothing was going to stop her. But when they were shut down for like two and a half weeks or whatever, it just it was so tough to get anything going. I think that there were some also some locker room things that weren't helping that that got straightened out with with some transfers and everything but i mean it's you know maybe you look at 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 iowa state's coach for you know the fact that how successful their season has been but it's it's tough not to look right now and not look at jeff mitty as the clear front runner for big 12 coach of the year I mean, what they've done already so far has been incredible. And as long as they kind of keep up this pace and make the tournament and get a top top eight, top six seed, I don't see why that wouldn't be on the table. Right. And just reference, K-State was picked to finish tied for eighth with Texas Tech at the start of the year in the Big 12. So obviously um, outperforming that so far. So hopefully they can keep it up. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is, I mean, with the freshmen, obviously, I think that that's got to play a big part in it too, right? Like, I mean, obviously one recruiting class had a lead, but other than that, 
Is this his best recruiting class that he's brought in? Or maybe it's related to Oh, I think it has to be. I mean, you got to think, I mean, with all three freshmen, you know, we got A, A pluses across the board. And then you add into that Rebecca Dollinger, who has been a solid piece off the bench. She's not as consistent from three as I think that maybe people would like, but she still is, you know, very dangerous and is certainly a, a, a good add. And then there was the the girl, Malene Peterson from Denmark, who was hurt. I think she had a she had some some surgery before the season, and so she she redshirted this year. And adding with that the transfer from Oklahoma, Heavenly Greener, who I've heard great things about. She will also be redshirting due to an unfortunate transfer waiver decision by the NCAA. But I mean, it's it really is incredible how big of an impact. I mean, you don't really see this much of an impact come from just one recruiting class, but it's it's been great. When they haven't, they weren't, didn't have like the stars that maybe some of his early classes did, where he'd had. I mean, there were there were a couple classes where he had like a top ten ranked player or something, and they just mm-hmm. they didn't pan out at all. Whereas, I mean, these these girls were pretty well thought of in the region, but they just you know they weren't like, oh my gosh, look at what Jeff Mitty did with these you know recruits. But I mean, three girls from you know mm-hmm. Northwest Missouri. And that we're all on the same AAU team. It was a very similar to me. It felt very similar to that. Again, that, that fab five group that Deb Patterson pulled in in 05, like she just essentially pulled, you know, an AAU team and made her squad instantly better because those girls had been <laughs> playing together, you know, for however many years, you know, the Glenn sisters and Sundell have been playing together for a while now, even though they went to different high schools they're they've been playing together. And so that's, you know, instantly, you know, they come in, they've got, they've got that, those three know what's going on, but yeah, that Dollinger has been very solid. I, she's not going to light things up, but yeah, she's, she's made some really good plays. She's pretty good in defense. And even as we move forward, like it looks like the crew they're pulling in here for next year is going to be very, very similar, very, you know, just solid across the board. And I think that's something maybe a way I, we've been talking in the, amongst the staff about how maybe he changed his recruiting strategies. And I think that's fair. Like, I think he went from like trying to get some stars to trying to get players that fit, you know, what he wanted to do and the culture and that are still talented, but maybe that, that are, you know, better fits as opposed to just, wow, look at the the star power of this recruit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that because we had, that aside from even Ioka Lee was not, you know, a five star. She was a, I think a very high three star coming in. So all of the, even, even if you look at Christiana Carr, which was maybe his most successful high profile recruit, that still kind of flamed out at the end, and she transferred off to Syracuse. And the success that you know that this program has had has been with the you know three star with upside kind of kid, and that's what Sundell is. That's what both the Glenn twins are. And so it'll be. I've looked into this coming class a little bit, and they they I mean they all seem very much in that same mold. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this seems like a, a big week coming up, though. You get KU at home. KU's a team that, that's pulled off a couple upsets. You know, they're not bad. And then Oklahoma, which is a, is a ranked team, 
you know, how important is this week kind of for figuring out the direction of the season is going to go? I mean, it's huge, especially the KU game, because that's, I think that they're kind of in that same range. They, they just barely, barely lost to Baylor. I mean, they should have probably upset Baylor. They're a team that's much improved, a team that I think was picked dead last in the conference. And they brought in some transfers. They have a lot of international girls that they brought in. And they, uh, I mean, it'll be it'll be tough. And they've played really, really well. Probably the best season under under Brandon Schneider since he uh, took over for, for Bonnie however many years ago. So that's one that they absolutely have to win. I think the Oklahoma game is big, obviously, but that's not. That would be nice. But to kind of keep playing for that top three spot in the conference, they need to make sure that they stay ahead of a team like KU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, the KU picked up a big upset win over Texas just a week ago in Austin. Luke and I were talking before we, we started, and KU is 2-2 is two and two in conference play, but they're 2-0 and oh away from Lawrence, which scares me a little bit, honestly. Like, they seem to be playing better on the road than they, they are – in Allen Fieldhouse, which is, you know, rare, but, you know, the, and the, this game's always tough. I mean, just like we say on the men's side, you know, KU is one more often than not, but usually the games in Manhattan are pretty tough. But, like, this is probably the most even series uh, amongst amongst the several, except maybe baseball, where they go back and forth quite a bit. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tough very tough series. Uh, Sunflower showdown on the women's basketball side is, is always competitive, even when KU's bad. And they've not been great the last few years. In fact, I think, you know, we talked about Jeff Mitty being on the hot seat. I was pretty sure that uh, Brandon Schneider was not going to, you know, survive last season where they, I think they only won like seven games and they haven't had a winning record in a couple of years. So I was like, I was actually kind of surprised he managed to get one more year and Sure enough, they've they've turned it around at least a little bit. That on pace, I think this is their best start to a season in quite a long time. So, you know, they're playing for their lives, and you know, it could be it could be interesting. Well, and I think that's really all that KU wants out of their women's team. Just don't be an embarrassment. I mean, I think <laughs> don't, so. Don't be like a football team. Exactly. Like, don't you know? Obviously, I'm sure they're happy if, you know, if they get into the top 25 or whatever, but I'm sure that, you know, he could, you know, Schneider could be coach for life as long as they are respectable, which I mean, it seems like they were. I, I, I'm, they're the biggest surprise, I think, so far this season. Yeah. I mean, talk about like Mitty's got to be a candidate for coach there. Well, at this point, like if you were voting right now, you'd have to put Schneider on that list too. Mm hmm. So yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of competitive teams in the Big 12, but, and Tim, I don't know how much you can speak to this, you know, how well does the conference stack up to the rest of the country? You know, obviously it's not like the, the, the dominant conference, like it is on the men's side, but, you know, where, where does it fit in? And then what does that mean as far as how many wins K-State needs to get to make the NCAA tournament? Well, I think that, I mean, obviously the, the SEC is kind of top dog. <laughs> in women's basketball and then probably the ACC is probably next. Although I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I would I, agree with that. Yeah. And then maybe 
the Big uh, Twelve, probably a coin Pac-12. flip between Big Twelve and Pac Twelve. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then maybe the Big Ten is last, but K State put themselves in a really good position by getting wins over teams like South Dakota State and Oregon, and you know having their only two losses going into conference play being South Carolina and North Carolina State because those are both going to be you know they may both be one seeds they'll at least be one or two seeds by the time tournament time rolls around i mean i think if they go 500 in conference they'll make the tournament i think i think they'll do better than that but they're in a really good spot right now i mean the most recent bracketology last friday has them at a four seed now of course that was before the texas tech game so that probably is a little bit of a detractor, but I mean, a four seed—that's you know, that's a top sixteen team in the country. That's a that's a big yeah. that's a big seed. I mean, that's that'd be a really nice spot for them to be in. It would mean that they would host. So I mean, they would get to play the first two games if they if they made it in Manhattan, which would be big. And then that projection had them in the Wichita region, which there's Wichita region this year, which means that they would play Sweet 16 Elite Eight at Interest Bank Arena, which means that, I mean, I would hope that tons and tons of K-State fans would be able to make it down there for that. So, I mean, that would be Mm -hmm. a super ideal situation for them if they can pull that off. Yeah, no doubt. Like if you went purely by the net rankings, the current net rankings, which I'm told that the selection committee really looks at, especially for women's basketball, K-State is ranked 20th, which would make them the fifth five seed, essentially. But they have three losses to number one, number two, and number seven in the net. I mean, like, you know, if you then you apply some strength of schedule to that, it's just, you know... Mm -hmm. That looks so good on paper. I mean, you'd wish one of those would be a win. I mean, their best win is is Baylor, who's right behind K-State now in the net. They used to be top 10. Of course, K-State was like 15th or something at one point, but Baylor's 23, Oklahoma's 24. I mean, they've, they've got some some good wins ahead of them if they can pick them up. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. Look forward to, to seeing what the scenes can do for sure. Before we let you go, Tim, we you know, probably should talk a little bit about the men's game. They Pulled off a pleasant surprise on Saturday, beating Texas Tech, a Texas Tech team that was, you know, arguably one of the hottest teams in the country. JT, I guess, first of all, I was just kind of wondering, you were there, what was it like in the atmosphere, uh, kind of those last few minutes in K-State? Looked like, you know, going down the wire in a close one where they haven't done so well and then sort of pulled away. It felt like, like maybe like, very similar to the Wichita state game where they got to that pressure point at the end. And instead of folding, they kept going uh, for lack of a better term. Like they used, you know, the, the crowd was there, was on the verge and they were like that against TCU too. There was, there was a point where the crowd was on the verge there towards the end and they just, they couldn't do anything and they, they squandered it and they couldn't, you know, come back. It was the same way with Texas. Like they you know, you get to a point where like there's some crowd energy, you know, that picks up like there's a defensive stop and then you make a basket and, you know, the crowd energy starts to pick up. And if you can get that one more big play, a big three or a dunk or something, you know, a run out layup, 
you know, it'll, it'll send the crowd over and you've got that energy the rest of the game where they, this, the last few home games, they, they haven't been able to quite get that, get over that hump and pick up that crowd energy. Whereas they did against tech, they didn't, you hit that point and they made that play and you know, it, they pick up that crowd energy, which then fuels them to the end of the game. And, you know, you get down to it and, uh, you know, it's a difference probably in, you know, a, a win versus a loss, picking up that, that crowd energy. They did the same thing against Wichita state where, you know, Noel hit that long range three. And that was, that was what set the crowd over. And you knew at that point they were probably going to win because they had, they had that energy, same thing against, against tech. There was, mm-hmm. there was a sequence there where they, they managed to pick up that crowd energy right at the end of the game. And it was enough. And at that point you're like, man, I think they can do it. I think they can do it. And they managed to. So that's what you get from playing at home. That's, that's what they call a home corner advantage, essentially. I mean, that, you know, that, that mm-hmm. spark from the crowd. And even though it wasn't a great crowd because, you know, they've been losing and that's what happens, you know, they, they managed to, to pick that up and use what energy was there to help them to finish the game. Yeah, and that's a little different from the home court advantage they get in Lawrence, where they get that, but they also get, you know you're going to get every single close, close call, especially down the stretch. Right. So, and yeah. like there, and, and I watched some video of Texas Tech's game at home. What, were they playing KU or was it Baylor that they were playing at home? Either way, from Baylor the on the before, road. and, so, you know, they're playing at home. Yeah. swag surfing, and, and, you know, the crowd's going, and you're like, yeah, they're going to win this game. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, the crowd's in it full house they are going to win this game and you just knew they were going to win it and we haven't had that essentially until you know till the other night and you could feel it even though it was a sparse crowd like they got to that point and and even the administration decided to help (laughs) that they played sandstorm you know and there was there was the chant, but there's going to be the chant. They're, they chant it to Wabash. They chant it to a bunch of other things. Like at this point, like whatever. I mean, Luke, you know better than anybody. Missouri students still do that. I mean, and oh, yeah. they haven't played KU oh, yeah. in forever. I mean, it's it's a thing. It's college. Let the college kids be college kids. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I did have a question for, for you guys because I was, I was trying to think, when, when was the last time that we had a, a packed Bramlage. How long ago was that? You know, Marquette was pretty close. Was it? I mean, there were probably 8,000 there for, for the Marquette game, eight or nine, which, I mean, Bramlage seats 11. So, I mean, that's pretty full, essentially. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was nobody there last year. So then you'd have to go back probably KU game 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. the KU game's always full. So, I mean, that would probably be at that February 29th mm-hmm. game against Kansas in 2020, which they lost by four points in a, I don't know, a craptastic year. Uh, <laughs> I don't think people showed up then for the, you know, for senior day, really, against Iowa State. But, but yeah, I mean, non-KU game, Big 12 championship, 2019. I mean, it. Forget that the they won the Big Twelve title just not all that long ago, but it it feels the last few years have have felt so, so long. <laughs> like twenty nineteen is a distant memory because of what's happened the last two years. 
Well, and COVID hasn't helped with that at all. I right. Think that yeah. Everything happening outside of the basketball has also made yeah. it seem, you know, it seems like Dean Wade, Barry Brown, and Kamal Stokes played here, you know, 10 years ago. Well, the good news is all that practice and half-empty arenas will have them very prepared for the game at Texas on Tuesday. So, <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they- I guess the, the glass half-full take on this is that, you know, this is the first time I think where Kansas State has had all ten scholarship players available, and you know they did they, they look a lot better. Obviously, you know how much stock do you put in that? I know you know some of those games they weren't necessarily missing key players, but you do have the extra depth. It's got to be worth something, right? I think this team needs you know everybody can pull out of it. So yeah, even when it has someone semi less important like a, a maybe like a KCCA or, or whatever you know they they need it they need it they especially needed Marquise Noel I mean the mm-hmm. obviously he's been back for a couple games now but he's just he's so important to them offensively and giving them any of rhythm that uh it's it you know he's he's huge but I, I, I think if they can all stay healthy and they can stay out there, then they'll be competitive. But man, when, when, when a couple pieces from that puzzle drop, they start looking real, real last place in the big 12 real fast. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we saw what missing Noel did, you know, against Oklahoma that just the serious depth against Texas. And then like, even Mike McGurl, like you don't think like, well, you know, we've, we've bagged on Mike McGurl for five years now. Cause that's what we do. And um, <laughs> I think having him available against TCU might have made the difference from K-State collapsing at the end to K-State maintaining and, you know, hopefully, you know, presumably pulling off the victory instead of, mm-hmm. you know, stopping scoring at 57 points with how, you know, with what, like three minutes left or something, they, they sat at 57 and TCU came back. And that was, I, again, and I've said this several times. I mean, it's been a theme throughout the year. The first team to 60 has won <laughs> every single game that K-State's been in win or lose first team to 60 is one. I mean, there's been some scores beyond that. The West Virginia score was above that, you know, that both teams scored above that Oklahoma both scored above that, but the first team to 60 still won. And I was holding my breath, even against Tech. Like, the crowd was in it. The energy was there. But until they broke 60, I was like, I, I don't know, because we watched what happened against TCU. They were at 57, and they couldn't get over that hump and ended up losing. TCU scored 60 points. They won. Well, and going back to Mike, I mean, I feel like they find him in the role that he should He should be that first guy off the bench. The, I mean, it's when when he was a freshman. That's what he was doing when he came in and had his heroics in the NCAA tournament. That is, I think that's finally, you know, he's not. He he does so many things good, and <laughs> now that we finally have some talent above him, that we're they're not relying on him. He can come in and he can do those things without the pressure. And it's nice to see he, he deserves. I, you know, I hope this team goes to the tournament almost solely for him after the several years that he's had to drag a, a rotting carcass of a team down the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, in contrast to the women, yeah, something has a lot of lot of work to do to get to the top. Yes, that is true. And he 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 seems like a like a leader of the team. Like I think the younger Mm -hmm. guys had even you know the the post game press conference from the the tech game, and they're talking about cutting hair, and he's kind of you know teasing Mark Smith, and like I think Mark Smith even you know they're they're about the same age, but I think he still maybe looks at McGraw maybe as kind of the de facto leader of the team, like the team captain. And now that he's settled into a role where his, you know, his talents can be used effectively, he can be that guy. And that's, like I said, like what we're missing in TCU is that steadying influence that, you know, that, that team captain role, not necessarily a scoring, but that, you know, the, the steadying influence. Yeah. Well, hopefully they can they can figure it out, and this will be a turning point. You know, like that. I think it was four years ago that West Virginia game was a turning point. But then you also worry about you know two years ago they had a team that was zero and four, picked up a big win out of nowhere against West Virginia, and then proceeded to drop twelve of the next thirteen. So you never know what the Bruce Weber team what a win means. Really, we will. Find out soon enough, I suppose. Obviously, a very tough week this week with Texas and then KU coming to Manhattan. To be fair, that I mean, in uh, what was that, 2020? I mean, they they smacked West Virginia and then immediately had to go to Lawrence. And yeah. K State teams, you know, good yeah. K State teams have done that and lost several games in a row af- after <laughs> the game in Allen Fieldhouse. Like, so there's just I don't know it. Bruce Weber needs to have like a funeral or something at Allen Fieldhouse, I think, <laughs> at this point, to, or or calling an exorcist or something into the visiting team locker room, like have the guys wear earplugs. I don't know, whatever they can do, they've got to get out of being so just overwhelmed at Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, fortunately, that It'll game's be- not coming up for a while, so that's good. It'll be interesting this year. This will be my first KU game. Covering KU at at Allen since the SFI not a travel mm. game, so it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they'll show that on the video board. Oh, I, yeah, they're still running highlights <laughs> of that game. Like, I mean, it's, every time I see it, I'm like, I took five steps. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> why do you keep showing this as a highlight? Like, just stop. Yeah. It's yeah, like Gavin why. Potter putting a late game <laughs> on Skyler Thompson on his personal oh, highlights. Man. Like, why would you do that? Stop. Well, he's an idiot. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we probably ought to wrap this one up. But, uh, Tim, appreciate it. You know, good luck to you all in the down in Manhattan Mercury Sports Department. Thank you. I know Thank people you. can this always read yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mercury.com at I am Tim Everson. On Twitter, mm-hmm. um, anything else you want to promote? No, not really. Just uh, you know, keep hanging in there. If you're a if you're a K State sports fan, it's gonna be a real weird last couple months of basketball <laughs> season. No matter what side of the or men's or women's, it's there's gonna be a lot to watch. So we're a little over a month away from baseball starting. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I mean, if, if things things go super guys, south, like, you know, always that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, JT. Oh, yeah.